This is the Own It Show, where we tell stories of how everyday people made ownership theirs to create extraordinary success. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Own It Show. I'm Justin. And I'm Elise. Welcome to the show. And guys, today's a big like day of manifestation realization for me because uh, I, I know you've heard the story where uh, I was in the NHL. I was literally my greatest failure, as I, and I've told you that story. And it was two people that really kind of redirected my path. And one was Magic Johnson and uh, the interactions that I had with him. And the second was the man that you're about to hear from today. And the unique part about that was that uh, he had also been in great paths in sports at Lee Steinberg and doing some amazing things and had to reinvent himself, had to figure out what was next, what was new, and was able to then or recreate a new trajectory path for himself and still find success, And but doing it in a different way. And so obviously he needs no introduction, but Mr. David Meltzer, thank you so much for giving us your time and energy today. And uh, I can't wait to dive in with you. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you for mentioning my name with Magic Johnson. And I've been blessed to share some stages with him. And he's just an amazing person that has an amazing energy and charisma. So as you, a lot of the stuff that I've heard from you, it all comes from a faith-driven place, a place that is so focused on what you can give and ultimately then what you can open yourself up to receive. And what is that faith-based philosophy and those principles behind it that have allowed you to find this new sense of identity that's led to the authentic, true success that you feel today? When I grew up, I didn't think I believed in anything except for myself. I was going to be rich and I was going to do it myself. I grew up with every disadvantage as a victim in a world of not enough where everything happened to me. I was constantly, as I thought, being punished. And I was able and capable by nine months out of law school, being a millionaire, buying my mom a house in a car, which was my dream. And then everything that happened the next 10 years just reaffirmed that money bought me love and happiness. And I did it all myself. And What I realized through my journey was that everyone serves a God. And I had been serving a God without knowing it, which a lot of people do. They serve the God of money, of relationship, of alcohol, addiction. They they serve a God. And what I needed to do was to understand faith first, that I was going to serve a God that was bigger than me, that loved me more than my mom loved me, that was omniscient, all-powerful, and all-knowing. However you define that, doesn't have to be religious, spiritual, philosophical, theoretical. It can be whatever you want it to be. But my faith uh, came from the idea that no longer would I ever be punished. No longer would I live in a world of not enough. No longer would I live in the world of just enough, where I was, like you said, trading and negotiating to give to receive uh, with a limited God that was just what I deserved. And What I moved to was this idea of every time there was a setback, a failure, a mistake in my life, I was being promoted. I was being protected. And a lot of the valuable lessons that I've learned, I learned around three years old, like gratitude. I learned the importance of saying thank you. But I also learned that I didn't know what I didn't know. And so when at three years old, I reached out to touch a hot stove. And my mom, who never hits anyone and never yells, slaps my hand and screams at me, no. And at three, I said to myself, why are you punishing me? What did I do? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did I do? Please. She hugged me and said, oh, 
I'm not punishing you. I love you. I'm your mom. I'm protecting you. You just don't know what that stove is going to do to you. It took me until my mid-30s to realize I didn't know what certain people, relationships, what schools rejected me, what business opportunities just left me or getting your NHL experience that I didn't know that I was being protected. And now through faith, I always know and it's changed my entire life and allowed me to empower others to live in a world of more than enough of everything for everyone. It's a really powerful message. And one of the things we talk about often at the Own It show is this idea of living in in pre-ownership and post-ownership. And that post-ownership is is where you're living today, right? And when you talk about worshiping this other God, this relationship, this money, um, something that's much more externally driven than internally driven, it's a completely different way of life. And oftentimes, there's an event that has to happen to take you from that pre-ownership phase into that living and post-ownership phase. And once you get there, you never go back, right? But tell us about that journey for you. Yeah, for me, you know, understanding where I started, right? I grew up in Akron, Ohio. My dad left when I was five. I had a single mom raising six kids, five boys, one girl, packing my dinner in a paper bag just so we could eat while she worked two jobs as a second grade teacher and then filling up turnstiles at convenience stores just so we could eat. I had a grandfather uh, who really set forth simple, you know, he worked six days a week, 12 hours a day selling tires out of a truck and then eventually owned his own auto parts store. But my grandfather always said, you know, you only need three things in life to be happy. You need number one, the right spouse. He said, I, today I call it intimate partner. Um, but you need an intimate partner because he said, your intimate partner is going to be liaison between you and your family. You're going to spend a third of your life with your family. And if you're not happy, you'll be miserable for a third of your life. He then said, you got to find a job that you love. He said, you spend a third of your life working. And if you don't love what you do, you're going to be miserable for a third of your life. And then he finally said, you need to spend a third of your life. You need to buy the best bed you can find. And and it's still today, I people ask me, the most important mentor I have is my sleep mentor. Because you spend a third of your life, 26 years on average sleeping. Um, and he said, he's from the Ukraine. He, he said, stupping. You can imagine what that means. He said, so buy the best bed you can find. So three simple things to live my life happily. But what was interesting is money had no part in it. And yet who I looked up to money was my God. I just wanted to be rich. I was happy already. And I wanted to be rich to buy my mom a house and a car. And the lesson I learned happened later on. I was running. I'd gone from being a millionaire to my nine months out of law school. We sold our first company for $3.4 billion in 1995. CEO of Samsung's phone division in 1999. I was in Web 1.0, Web 2.0, when people were saying the same things they're saying today about Web 3.0. I then get hired as the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world, Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment. So not only am I a multimillionaire, but I now have access to things that billionaires can't even afford. And I'm married to my dream girl. And I have three daughters that are healthy, happy, and beautiful. You would think this would be the life coming from where I came from. No problem. I had the intimate partner. I had the profession, the job, and I was sleeping well. But there was something that was missing, this this faith. And my wife 
brought faith into my life when she, two years before I lost everything, most people would think losing over a hundred million dollars and going bankrupt in 2008 would have created the epiphany of faith. Not me. It was my wife. It was my wife pointing out. <laughs> I came home one one day from lying to her. I went to the Grammy Awards with Little John, 5.30 in the morning, came home wasted, thinking I was a rock star. And she told me she wasn't happy and that she was going to leave me. This is my dream girl from the fourth grade, a girl I asked to go study in the sixth grade through my best friend. <laughs> and and uh, I wasn't ready to hear her. Previously, my dad had warned me that money doesn't buy love. He had given me this jacket. We, my best friend had warned me that I was surrounding myself with the wrong people. I told them both I hated them. So, of course, I told my wife I hated her at that time. And thank goodness the next day I woke up about to give it all away. Take what I said to myself, I'm going to steal her happiness. I'm going to take all the money. And I looked over and there was that jacket that my dad gave me with no pockets, reminding me you can't take anything with you when you're gone, reminding me of those three things my grandfather told me woman you love, a bed, and a job you love. And I thought to myself, I don't hate my dad. I don't hate my best friend. And I certainly don't hate my wife. I hated myself. <laughs> when you went through that and, and just hearing that story and seeing the emotion that you still show today, there's a massive amount of grace that both your wife, your father, your best friend, and ultimately you had to show it to yourself. How were you able to cultivate that grace and learn for that so ultimately that you could lean into something different and create a new identity for yourself that you are now able to live in day in and day out? Well, my wife told me that night when I came home early morning, what would your mom think of you? You better take stock in who you were and what you want to become because I don't want to be around to watch you die. And so for me, the grace was found in understanding these values that I had lost. Gratitude itself, finding the light, the love, and the lessons and everything. Forgiveness, uh, which brings me peace. Accountability, which brings me control. And then this idea of inspiration or effective communication. This shift in the paradigm that no longer as you said, was I going to give to receive buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. See, most people, they appreciate what they have, which adds value to it. And then they acknowledge what they have. They acquire the knowledge by losing it, letting it go, having it stolen from them, manipulated. You have to relieve yourself of your accumulation in order to acknowledge, acquire the knowledge of what you had. The difference is I now understood that I appreciated what I had. I acknowledged it but I never asked for more. And so slowly my vessel was dissipating, dissolving and disappearing uh, to the point where I would have ended up maybe even disappearing myself. And so the irony of my life of giving back to others, of empowering others to empower others to be happy, to make a lot of money, help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. It's in that order because you need to ask, appreciate, then acknowledge. And most people are afraid of asking for help. The ultimate form of radical humility is to know that you're part and parcel, that you actually live in a value add world, not a zero sum world. So when we ask someone for help, we're adding value to their life. We're not taking away. It's not zero sum that you give to receive. There's no trades negotiations. In other words, we live in an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing world with everything for everyone, but we have to have faith in order to ask for it, just as we were asking our mom for whatever it is we wanted or needed when we were young. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really great point that asking for help is actually not shameful, right? It's a really powerful thing, but for so many people, it's all about shame. And I think that's a really difficult thing to be able to overcome and say, no, actually, when I ask for help, it adds value instead of taking my own personal value away. So one of the things I would love to understand from you, if you could tell our listeners how you stay in this ownership place day in and day out, right? You had to go through through these, these stumbles. You had to fail in a really big way and you had to let it all go. But how do you keep yourself from going back there? Well, this is where the blessing of being obsessive compulsive is, right? You at least have the ability to do stuff every day, to enjoy the consistent everyday, persistent without quit pursuit of your potential, your truth. But I use five daily practices and these five daily practices I offer to everyone and they really are simple. What do I want according to mid and long term objectives that are more and more unrealistic as we get away? See, time is something that I study. Today's the only time that exists in man made constructive time. You look behind you in the past, time's relative. You look in front of you into the future, time's relative. But today, you need to be extremely realistic with your objectives aiming towards a trajectory of unrealistic objectives for the midterm and super unbelievable objectives for the long term. They should raise the hairs on your arms. They're so scary. And they should scare everyone else. They should make people laugh at you, scoff at you, and make fun of you when you talk about your mid and long term objectives. But when you when you talk about today, they should be objectives that are realistic but aggressive realistic. So if I showed you what I did today, people would be impressed. Oh, very productive, very accessible, very gracious, David. It's amazing how you utilize efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success. But there's nothing listed out in the you know 20 interviews and whatever else that you're like, oh, Dave Meltzer can't do that. But if I told you, you know, that I was going to empower over a billion people to be happy on earth and change the world in its mindset, a lot of people would laugh at me and still do. But no one's laughing at my calendar today. They might think it's aggressive, but there's nothing in there that's humanly, you know, inconceivable like my mid and long term objectives. So to have daily practices of knowing what I want, who I can help and who can help me, how best to get it done utilizing time, including reconciling it with gratitude, knowing what, who, how, and your now, knowing what you're doing now. See, if you know what you're doing now, you know how to prioritize. You go from nothingness, but when you know what you want, who you can help and who can help you and how to get it done, you instantly know how to prioritize because you know what's important to you. Prioritization is the antidote to procrastination. It's the antidote to nothingness. It's the antidote to feeling overwhelmed. Now that you know your what, your who, your how, and your now, you can apply your why. You're not searching for something that you don't already have. See, most people like myself, when I was younger, you live your life trying to get more healthy, more happy, more wealthy, and more worthy. Through the process of these daily practices of enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential, I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, I am worthy. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing to interfere with it. It's awesome. It's so amazing to be able to have like frameworks that you can pull off of because frameworks allow things to be practical, allow things to be real. And so, guys, as you're listening to that, it's something that you can use today. It's something you can actually take and put into action today. And it's now taken from something that you didn't know to something that you do know. 
And now it's not up to you. It's up to you to take it and make it real. It's up to you to put it into action and to ultimately allow you to manifest something that maybe it's going to take four years to get here, but consistent pursuit of what you're looking for will allow you to do that. David, where can people, if you haven't already <laughs> found him on the web or whatever else that he's uh, doing, but where can people interact with you? Where can people find you? Uh, and where can people find your new book as well? Yeah, well, I'd like to offer my book to everyone. I give everything away for free. So I do free Friday trainings, free books, free exercises and guides, including the values and the daily practices. Just email me directly, David at dmeltzer.com. My first name at my first initial last name, David at dmeltzer.com. If you forget it, just remember my name and Google me. Like you said, I'm blessed that I'm a lot easier to find than ever. David Meltzer. Thank you so much for that access for all of our listeners. It's very generous of you. Now for one of our favorite questions that our listeners always love to hear, what would you say in a phrase or a sentence is your definition of ownership? Ownership is the ability to ask ourselves, what did I do to participate in this and what am I supposed to learn from it? If you ask yourself with all the events, circumstances, what mistakes, failures and setbacks in your life, whatever it may be, all you need to do is ask yourself, what did I do to participate in this and what am I supposed to learn from it? And you'll own it. I love that. So guys, as you go forward, remember that... There's three things in life that you have to make sure you manifest yourself and bring yourself to. You've got that spouse and that partner that you're with for life that supports you, that loves you, that helps you, that inspires you. You're welcome, honey. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky man. <laughs> You've got that job that you love that we're, you can literally do whatever you want. And you have to be able to manifest that. You have to think it and believe it and see it first before you can make it real. And lastly, you sleep for a third of your time, so you better make sure that that mattress is primed. And so as we go forward, don't allow your ego to hold you back from asking for help. Because remember, your struggle is somebody else's purpose. And when we understand that we're actually giving to somebody else, allowing somebody else to pour into us, we ultimately allow ourselves to prepare for what we've been ultimately made to do. And we've been made to do something special. We've been made to change this world. We've been made to make an impact. But ultimately where we are at is that understanding that setbacks are promotions and they're just learning they're learning opportunities. And when we stay in that and we settle in that, it allows you to understand that you're participating in your own life and allows you to own your different. Because we know success is different. So own your different. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>